Good morning. My name is Tony. If you're online, I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. Uh, before I get into my message, um, I just want to say a big welcome to a brand new part of our family. Lakin. Mom's doing good. You know, I think it was the day after um, he was born, I ran into your husband at the Mexican restaurant, and you weren't with him. I said, what are you doing here? He goes, Mom's sleeping. So, do you want to stand and show us Lakin? I know at some point we'll probably dedication, they do a dedication and all that, but would you look at that? Oh, man. There's nothing better than new babies running around here, right? And uh, so we are excited for you guys. Congratulations um, and, and all that. Grandmas and grandpas and uh, dads, I guess you had some part in it. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's all right. Don't you wish you had a trouble-free life? Who said hello? All right. Don't you wish you had a trouble-free I mean, seriously. Don't, just imagine if you never had a problem. You never had a struggle. Imagine if nothing ever broke down. Or imagine if you always had enough money in the bank to cover what did break down. <laughs> imagine that everybody loves you. And no one would ever say anything bad about you. No one would ever hurt you. No one would ever treat you in a way that's disrespectful. Or Imagine if you go to work every day and everyone just gets along. Imagine a trouble-free life. That's right. But imagine, you be quiet back there. I don't give away my, my, my big point here. Um, but the truth of the matter is, that's not reality. We all have troubles. We all have things in our life that come at us that bring us down, that threaten us, that take away our joy or our happiness. And we all have things that we face. I mean, imagine if your life was never, you never had to face illness or sickness or old age or death or anything like that. But the truth is and the reality is, is that we do. We all have a life that has troubles. Maybe you're not going through a trouble right now, but you will. Maybe you're going through a trouble right now. And you can't wait till it's over, and maybe it won't be over soon. You've got to go through this. You've got to be in this. You've got to be in the middle of trouble. I think that when we face trouble, when we face challenges, when we face things that come against us, enemies, if you will, of our life, of our happiness, when enemies come against us and they try to steal our joy and take away everything that we think is good in life, I think what we typically do is we turn to those human systems for help. 
say, well, what do you mean by that? When we are broke and things are broke down and the challenges of life are coming at us, we look to the economy or to our job or to how much money we have and think, that's going to fix my problem. We turn to the government or the political system. Matter of fact, we fight over them because one half of the country thinks this is going to solve our problems and the other half thinks this is going to solve our problems and they're both in clueless because neither one's going to solve our problems. You might fix a problem, but another one will rise. <laughs> and so we turn to these human systems that we have and we look to ourselves, we look within ourselves, we look to our education or our knowledge we look to our scientific breakthroughs, you know. I mean, we're pretty modern in our day, and there's certain things that people a hundred years ago died of that we can just live right through because we've advanced science. And so we look to science, we look to the government, we look to financial economic systems, we look to all these human systems for help in our trouble. And we think that somehow they're going to help us. But here's what I've learned in my life. And I think if you'll be honest, you've learned the same thing. There are some problems that we can fix on our, by ourselves. Yes, we've advanced medically and we can cure certain cancers. Yes, we have certain, learned certain things about financial systems, gone through great depressions and stock market crashes, and we've learned certain things on how to try to prevent some of that. There are some things in life that we can prevent, but listen, there are some things in life that require divine action. You just can't get over it on your own. You can't get through it on your own. You're not going to be able to overcome certain things that are coming at you. Case in point, death. We've advanced our life expectancy through modern medicine and education and all of that. But the truth is, no matter how well we do at that, no one will ever live forever. And you want to know an enemy that's coming at you and will come at all of us at some point in our life? Is death. It will come at us. And that is one that de demands a divine intervention, isn't it? I think that's where our psalmist is today. You know we're in this series called Summer in the Psalms. We're in Psalm 20. We're going to look at the whole psalm. I believe that this is where our psalmist is today. This is what we call a royal psalm. Say, okay, what does that mean? It's a psalm about the king. It's a psalm for the king. It's a psalm that they would have sung or been part of their worship. It would have been part of their liturgy, if you will, their work in worship, if that's what liturgy means. It would have been something that they would have done in the temple or out just outside the temple. A royal psalm is a psalm that was for the king. Now, before I go too far into the psalm, there's a couple of things that I need to help you understand about kings 
and Israel and God's people. We don't know what it's like to live under a king, unless you come from some country with a monarch, but even then it was a little different back then. You know, Israel had God, and God led them through the desert, and God led them out of Egypt and through the desert and led them into the promised land. God led his people. But one day his people comes to the prophet and says, you need to tell God, because you know you and God talk, that we need a king. All these other countries have kings. We want a king. And God didn't want to give them a king, but they insisted, so God gave them a king. Now the king... For the God's people, Israel, became the anointed one on earth. He was God's representative to the people. He was the anointed one. And the king, how things went between the king and God typically were how things went with the nation. If, and you could read through the history of of, uh, of the Old Testament and Kings and Samuel and all of that, those, those are chronicles and all those books, you will find that there were good kings and there were bad kings. The bad kings who disrespected the Lord, who didn't have faith in God, who, who led the people astray. However the king's relationship to God was, so went the people. The king for the people of God was a big deal. Because when that king respected and, like David, was a man after God's own heart, they flourished. Things went well for them. However, even though things went well for them, and they were blessed by God, and the king was good, they still had trouble. They still had trouble. And so the people would expect God to give the king victory when the trouble came. Typically, the trouble, you know, the people of God seem to always be at war. Israel always seemed to be the underdog. You know, so it's always like some nation was coming at Israel trying to cause trouble, trying to overthrow them, trying to overtake them. And so, especially King David, because our psalm today is attributed to King David. We have no reason to believe that it's not of King David. It says it in the, in the, uh, the beginning of it there. It's a, for the choir master, it is a psalm of David. They were blessed under David, but they still had trouble. And so he was God's anointed one on earth, the representative authority of God on earth. And if they needed God to bless the king. So this is where we come into our psalm. This is a prayer and a praise, a prayer and a celebration of God's blessing the king. Let's start with verse 1. May the Lord, and I highlighted all of the things they want God to do for the king. This is the people praying to God. This is part of the worship service where the people pray to God and the king sits back and listens to the people pray. He says, may the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the Lord May the name of God of Jacob protect you. So there's answer, protect. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. Verse 2. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. 
May he give you the desire of your heart and make all your plans succeed. Verse 4. May he shout for joy over your victory and lift up and lift up our banners. May we shout for joy over your victory and lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Now this is the prayer. The first five verses of this is a prayer, a liturgy for the king on earth, the people's king. The people, listen to this, the people know that they cannot be successful. They cannot win. They cannot be victorious over the trouble coming at them unless God intervenes. They turned to God and prayed for the king so that God might bless the king. Because here's the deal. If things go well with the king then things will go well with us. This is their thought. This is their process. This is why they're lifting the king up. If God does not answer, if God does not bring victory, if the king loses the trouble war coming, if the king is defeated, listen, if the king loses, we're all doomed. If the king is not successful, then we all lose. Verse 6. Now this I know. Now this is where the king comes in. So the people, the first five verses, pray this prayer for the king. It's important to them because they need the king to be successful. They need the king to win. They need the king to defeat their enemies so that they might prosper and be well. Behold. Now the king speaks up. The king now shows his confidence in God's deliverance. Listen. Now this I know, says the king. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. I am the anointed one of God and God will give me victory. Things will go well for you. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. The king is now ready to go fight the battle. He says to the people, I'm ready to go fight for you because this I know I cannot lose. I cannot lose this battle because God is with me. God will not let his anointed one fall. Victory is imminent. Verse 7 and 8. Now the people speak back. Maybe the king joins in. I'm guessing the whole throng of people in this worship service. This is all happening with the army there and the king there, and they're about to go out to the, out of the city gates. They're about to go face their enemy that's threatening their lives and their livelihood. And they're all saying this, and I think they all speak up, everyone, and says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. Verse 7. That was 7 and 8, yes. 
they denounce their trust in the human systems of their day. They denounce them. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord. We are seeing here a clue, an insight into how the people of God overcame the troubles in their life. First, they recognized that they needed God to intervene. Their leader, the king, said, I am ready to go fight for you because God will not let his anointed be overcome. And now they're denouncing, they're denouncing the very things that they need to go win the battle. We don't need chariots and horses. We don't trust in them. They denounce them. Now, I want to just bring this out because you might be asking this question because I know I did. So they say some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. And then they proceed to get in their horses and chariots and go out and fight. You don't think the people of God went out without their swords, do you? You don't think they, did, they just left the horses and chariots back in the city. So what's going on here? Why are they denouncing their trust in the chariot and chariots and horses, but then they use chariots and horses to go defeat their enemies? They still use the systems of their day. It's not like they don't use them or they're not part of the systems of their day. The key is they don't trust them. It's one thing to be a part of a system and to do the best you can in the system that you have, and it's another thing to put all of your hope and trust in that system. A good example for me is just modern-day medicine. There are some in our Christian flavors, if you will, who will not take people to the doctor because they believe that if you go to the doctor, you don't have faith. That's not using the system we have. I go to the doctor and I take what medicine I can, but I always know, listen, I always know that all of this is from God and not everything is going to fix all of my problems. Sometimes it's just faith and hope. And someday, no matter how good medicine gets, Death will overcome this body. So I put my hope and my faith in God while I'm part of the system. And in our church, we actually have a statement in our, in our um, articles of faith about modern medicine, that we use modern medicine, we believe in it. It's a system that helps us have better lives, live longer, overcome the simple things that we've overcome. But at the same time, we acknowledge that we need God. God heals too. Sometimes he heals through medicine and sometimes he heals through a touch and sometimes the healing comes when we pass on to the next life. Verse 9. Lord, give victory to the king. Answer us when we call. 
here is this royal psalm. A prayer to the king. An acknowledgement of confidence. This psalm drips with confidence in God. It drips in this idea of this confidence that we might use chariots and horses, but we will not trust in them. We know that the real battle, the real victory will be won. The real battle will be won. The victory will come because God brings it. Verse 9 is like this exclamation point. The people put their hope in God's love for the king. They trust that God loves the king such that the king will be victorious and we will benefit from his victory. There's, it's hard to imagine, really, for me, that God would allow his anointed to su- suffer defeat. And it was hard for them to imagine it, too, that no matter what, God's anointed will and cannot lose the battle. The people of God will share in the victory of the king. Doesn't seem like God's people are winning right now, does it? I thought about this this week as I was reading this psalm and studying this psalm and thinking about this message. I thought, okay, Lord, it's a great psalm. It it, it lifts you up. It makes you want to go out and charge the enemy and You know, and I'm thinking to myself, but it doesn't feel right now that even the people of God are winning. In some ways, it feels like we're losing. The children of God around the world are being martyred every day. There is oppression and persecution and people are putting to death. We have the children of God hiding in fear that if anyone found out that they were Christians that they would be put in prison, maybe put to death, maybe beaten. The innocent in our world still are oppressed and abused and taken advantage of. World pandemics seem to get more news than what God's doing in the world. The enemies of our lives seem to have the upper hand Cancer, mental illness, oppression, injustice, and death. It doesn't feel that the people of God are winning the battle. I wonder this morning, I wonder what the first Jesus followers thought when they walked by the cross and they saw there would be king hanging on a cross, beaten to an inch of his life, suffering for his last breath. I wonder if Psalm 20 came to the minds of those Hebrew people who put their faith in this would-be king. Just a few days later, they're marching him into the city and they're shouting, Hosanna! This is the king. He is God's son. He is God's anointed. This is our king. And then just a few days later, they walk by and he's hanging on a cross, being put to death by his enemies. I wonder if they thought of this psalm, this prayer for the king. 
Maybe this is what Jesus meant in Gethsemane when he asked his disciples, will you pray with me? I'm your king, and I'm about to go to battle for you. And it's going to be hard, and it's going to seem like we're losing the battle. It's going to appear like we've lost the war. Will you pray with me? And the disciples couldn't even pray with Jesus. He's our king. Or is he? Did this psalm come to their mind? Maybe as they looked at this bleeding, beaten, broken man, they thought, he can't be God's king. Because God's king, according to Psalm 20, cannot lose the battle. He will be victorious. Just a few days, as I said earlier, they wanted to crown him king. <clears throat> but here they stand at the foot of the cross. Their king has lost. Death has won. He's dead. Just like you and me, they couldn't see it either. Just like you and me, we put our hope in worldly systems. These first followers of Jesus thought that God, Jesus, was going to come as king and use a worldly system to bring in the kingdom of God, to use a worldly system to save his people. They thought he was going to take all the power and all the military might, and he was going to overthrow all the enemies of God. And this is a worldly way. Violence would bring in the kingdom of God. And the only thing that was violent that day was a crucifixion. They wanted a king who would use his power and his might to defeat their enemies. But Jesus did not need a life free from trouble. <laughs> Jesus chose suffering for you and for me. Jesus laid down his life. He suffered, but he suffered with this hope that God will not let me down. That God will not let me rot in the grave. That God will raise me up as the psalm says, we will be raised up and stand firm. Jesus trusted the Father. Now I know this from the cross, he might probably thought. The Lord gives victory to his anointed. Three days after his apparent loss, after his death, after he was overcome by the troubles of this world, God raised him from the grave and he won the final battle over our worst enemies, sin and death. You see, we do not see the victory before us because we're so focused at looking at our troubles now. We don't see the victory. We cannot lose, listen, because our King Jesus has already won. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, whatever trial and hardship, know this, 
Jesus suffered too. And God raised him up. He lost, it seems, to death. But if we have this hope in Jesus, our king will be victorious. Our king will overcome. We will rise up with him. Lord, give victory to the king. King Jesus, answer us when we call. Worship team's going to come, and we're going to close this morning out with a song. Let me pray for you as they come. Father, this morning, we are a people who face trouble, persecution, oppression, wrongdoing, abuse, sickness, illness, death. We could go on and on and on with the things in this life that try to take us out. But we're reminded this morning of your people's faith in their king. And we're reminded this morning that you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords. We lift up your name because God has made you victorious. Your resurrection, Jesus, is our resurrection. If we will just believe and put our hope in you. We will not trust in chariots and horses but we will put our faith in the crucified one who was raised from the grave. It's you, Jesus, that we trust. And we will follow you wherever you take us because you will lead us through whatever life throws at us. We will see a victory. Amen. Would you stand with us and finish out this song? One.